Out here in the perimeter, there are no stars. Out here, we is stoned, immaculate. Yes, thank you, Jim, for that. Hello, welcome. This is David Eastall, and this is the C86 Show, bringing you the finest in indie pop. Each week, we like a special guest. This is an interview that I did with the lead singer man from the Pew Sticks. Yes, the one and only... Hugh Williams. So I've got that interview that I'm going to just play from start to finish because it's quality chat. But to get the party rolling, I think we should play your favourite and mine. This is going to be the Poo Sticks and on tape. You knew I was going to say that. because most of us had the TDK D90 cassette and we recorded the John Peel religiously every night. Anyway, that's the Poo Sticks. And this is David Eastall. God, it's all rather dramatic, isn't it? Um, yes, this is the Poo Sticks special where I had spoke to Hugh Williams to find out more about love, life, poetry and all that other groovy sort of stuff when you're in, a, in an indie band, especially from the 80s. And we've been chatting, talking, rapping... No, we're not rapping, actually, just babbling. And um, and then I was talking about his time or their time on Creation Records. And this was his answer. Who? Take it away. Uh, yeah, I mean, we, we, we 
you know, we formed uh, and and recorded. <laughs> we formed and recorded our first songs kind of at the same time, if that makes sense. And yes. Because it was kind of at first a, a, a kind of a studio-bound thing, I suppose. And it was uh, it was kind of um, August '87. So I think people remember us as a C86 thing, but we were kind of a kind of a slight reaction to that, really, or. We were informed by it and inspired by it to to a certain de degree, but we were kind of a year later. Right, because yeah. some of your songs, well, I mean, there was a few which did remind me a little bit of I Ludicrous. Right, okay. You know, there was the one I know somebody who knows somebody who knows Alan McGee quite well. Yeah, there was that, yeah. And, um, and obviously, <laughs> you know, that, that sort of, you know, I, I'm sure John Peel played it because I was kind of religiously listened to him all the time. So I would imagine that's when I first came across it and it had a sort of cheeky indie quality to it. Yeah, yeah, I think we were we, we, we were sort of fifty percent inspired by that, that kind of C eighty six thing, and fifty percent appalled by it. If that right. <laughs> makes sense. <laughs> so there were elements of it that we that we liked, and also we were well. I think we were inspired. We, it was kind of that, some of the groups I really liked, and then others like, oh right, okay. So if they're doing that, I'm sure we can do something uh, as good. And it was kind of so it was. I think sometimes it's seen as being sort of a bit arch or a bit sneery, but it wasn't. I was very young at the time, so it was kind of, you know, I, I did like some of those groups. But we, you know, that is the early days of it. We sort of quickly grew into something else. And by the end, we, we you, you, you know, the last record we made was as late as 95 or recorded 94, 95. So we were, you couldn't really compare, even though it was still the poo sticks. We, we went through various phases of, of things, really. Yeah. And we never lost the kind of... Not if if not the indies, you know, we never lost. You know, we were very much a pop band who were interested in songs, and that and that the song side of it got much got stronger as as the years rolled on. You know. Yeah, because because um, you did sort of well, you do sort of come out as quite an indie band, and and also you you had a guest, you know, Amelia Fletcher, didn't you, from the great Tallulah Gosh as well, yeah. who, who epitomised Sarah Records. So there was that kind of quality that obviously we all think, oh, yes, the Poo Sticks, we know what they're about. Yeah, uh, yeah, I think you're right. But we, we um, you know, we dragged Amelia into into territories, which, uh, you know, we were doing kind of 14-minute songs with 10-minute guitar solos with Amelia on it, which was which was out of her TG comfort zone. So... Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, in recent years, when we, we've kind of, um, you know, played some shows and got got back together, it was myself and Amelia was kind of the only, I've been the only constants in it really in a in a live capacity. It's always been me and her and other people. It's so, quite yes, because yeah. Amelia's obviously done because she's at the UEA in Norwich as a professor now, isn't she? I, I do believe, yeah. Yes, I think she's even got an OBE as well. Oh, an that's OBE it, for an OBE for economics. Or something. So, um, so that was quite an interesting one. So obviously, you know, so when you were growing up, though, before you were in the Poustics, yeah. what were your sort of musical influences? Um, well, you know, I, I, I'm very much of that generation that grew up with pop music was seemingly incredibly important. So even though, you know, as a little... Little kid, I was quite a sporty, boring child as well. So I played a lot of football, and then a lot, I, I, I sort of did quite a lot of running. I was kind of ran for Wales and stuff as a youth. But I don't know. I mean, I'm old enough to remember, you know, the Bay City Rollers and the Summer of '74 and all those pop records. And then also I had, I've got, you know, I'm a classic example of someone with one older sibling, a brother, 
who was you know old enough to so in, in sort of 76 77 my experience of punk rock was reading about it in the tabloids that i was um uh delivering as a as a paper boy but my brother was was away in college seeing all those groups so even though i was very young you know i i, I really like yeah you know whatever eddie and the hot rods and and the jam and and certainly the buzzcocks and things like that so I was buying records and consuming pop music from from a very early age. So, yes. yeah, all those things, basically. Well, it's interesting because I might be of slightly similar age, but my brother was a bit older, about seven years, and he was really into prog rock, actually. He was not into punk at all. He was yeah. a, he was of that generation. He was having, you know, the Yes albums, Barclay James Harvest, um, Genesis, the whole lot. And I sort of was young and was very excited by it. I thought, oh, these are all very interesting. Well, ones. you know, to be honest, the, the, those sort of records that, that came into the house were, which is interesting because none of those did but what did come in and they were lps as opposed to just the singles were uh 10 cc elo the new world record the early yeah thing uh queen who who played uh who my brother saw in swansea in about 74 75 so all those early singles were bought and listened to so that was that was as prog as it got really bit of alex harvey and the who were, were, were big as well yes so. Because obviously, because doing doing this show and sort of interviewing a lot of bands, I realise there's this kind of a five-year arc with most bands, especially, I think it's not just the 80s, but just generally, you know, there's the sort of getting together, the first single album tour, the tricky second album, you know, problems to do with dynamics and then, you know, actually no one making any money. So how did your kind of narrative arc, you know, progress? Um, well, the thing is, I think you have to remember that, so when we started, it was very much kind of, we... As I said, we got together, wrote a couple of songs, which is which which is literally on tape and Alan and yeah, Alan McGee, the Alan McGee song as we can refer it to, and and we were not a band that were, you know, we we weren't interested in recording sort of demo cassettes and sending sending them off to Creation Records. That you know, we basically wrote on tape, pressed it up as a a hundred copy, uh, like a white label, hand coloured yeah. the labels, you know, Xeroxed, uh, fold over sleeve and a placky bag, and that was. And we did a hundred copies, and that was it. You know, we we and we 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 met James Brown at Enemy, or sent one to him, and John Peel played it, and it all happened really quickly for us. In that sense, it was still, you know, yeah. So we pressed up another hundred records. We put out a ridiculous kind of uh, five one-sided single box set, uh, and then we got a distribution deal with Rough Trade, and and and, and that's the thing is that at the time that the the in the, there was a very strong independent infrastructure that you could sort of plug into if you if you were fortunate enough and that that's what we did quite quickly and were, um, and were you surprised with the sort of the success or the popularity of the band uh yeah <laughs> <laughs> i think sometimes people you know refer to the poostics as also rangs or underachievers or whatever and I, you know in in our eyes we're, we're massive overachievers so um, uh, you know, I mean, we ended up signing not one but two major. You know, not that signing a major deal is the, the market success. It was we knew, it, but we knew at the time that was the beginning of the end. But we were kind of, you know, there's a we were kind of around productively making records for about seven years, and it was very we we kind of we were in control as much and knowing as, as much. We we knew what we were doing pretty much all the time. I mean. We were offered a major deal very early, and we were kind of it was around '88 with I think Warner Brothers, a couple of other labels, and we were really, really not interested and knew our limitations at that point. But we, when Great White Wonder came out in '91, we got to the point where we were selling quite a lot of records, but 
were limited in we were still that record came out on Cherie Records in the yes. UK but it was basically made by us for Fierce Records which was which was which was our label or Steve Gregory's label who who was obviously did the group with me and um and actually we were affected by rough trade distribution went down we were owed some money we literally didn't have money to press the record up that that record would have come out on Fierce otherwise and it came out on, on Cherie Records and that was then led to us being offered another major deal and we thought we were ready for it at that point or, right you know we, we we wanted the money to make a we, we didn't think we were going to be able to to get the money together to 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 make not an experimental record but ex- experiment with us being able to to make a, a fairly shiny pop record which is what we did with with rca and bmg right so it was it, rough the rough trade collapse was a disaster really wasn't it well i think it was for lots lots of labels but we we you know we, if they owed us £5,000, they owed Mute Records, you know, £500,000. So there was a pecking order, and we basically, uh, I don't even think we ever got the money back. But in the short term, we, we'd finished Great White Wonder. It was there. We had white, we've had we got white labels of it on test pressings, I mean, with a fierce matrix number on it. But we, we couldn't put it out. We literally just didn't have the, 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 the deal anymore, all the money to put it out. So we, we, we went to our, our good friends at, at, at Shea Records, yeah. Yes, and then obviously you brought out another two albums, Million Seller and Optimistic Fool. Yeah. So how did they sort of progress? Um, well, as a Million Seller was our kind of, we thought we had a couple of strong songs there, like World Is Turning On, um, Susan Sleepwalking maybe. There was a few songs there, and we, we were just interested. We were all, we, uh, from Formula One generation onwards, all our records came out on a, on a really great labelling southern california called uh sympathy for the record industry so right. we always we, we'd always done quite well in america and um both the um the deal with bmg and then latterly optimistic food even though it came out on seed we would the contract was actually with atlantic records but um uh what was i trying to say so you know both the 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 deal with bmg was 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 directly with north america so we recorded we we were based in, in holland at this point we we were we kind of um we were based in swansea and utrecht in holland so we we recorded uh, three albums there so uh, and then we finished that the million seller we finished in in new york as well so, so so with the world of you know the how the record industry's gone now we have things like spotify are you starting to sort of be interested in sort of putting your kind of back catalog on those kind of sites you know what i have to say that we we we, we don't do anything <laughs> with our back catalog at all really we're kind of uh, like uh, you know the indie pop version of klf it's not we we get offered you know kind of um we have been offered sort of um, comprehensive retrospectives and stuff, and and occasionally we've been on a couple of we 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 put tracks on some compilations and stuff occasionally, um, but it's it's something we 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 haven't to answer your question we haven't really done. It's, I think there's a very little of our stuff on uh, even available on streaming stuff, but most of it we control ourselves and we haven't really. We haven't really done anything with it, right? <laughs> Have you got any plans? This not, you know what? Not really. No, we get we get we get offered things occasionally, but um, you know we're in an age now where, where groups that you know might have uh, who made a couple of flexi discs have kind of sort of comprehensive box sets coming out, and and it's kind of we're still we're still un- underplaying it. So until we get to the point where you know maybe Rhino want to do a a vinyl only box set 
extensive. We, we, we're kind of, we just leave it. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. We get, I mean, the stuff gets played occasionally in news. I mean, there was a, we got, we, I think the most exciting things ever happened to us, we were, one of our tracks was used on Match of the Day last year on a, a Swansea City um, season, kind of, you know, like a montage of all their goals. Excellent. Uh, that kind of brought me to tears. So. Yes, well, I'm not <laughs> surprised. So what would you, you know, looking at, you know, your career in, in, in music, what would you say to your kind of 18-year-old self if you were to meet them? Uh, I think my 18-year-old self, I mean, basically, I was just an Uber fan at 18, and, and I hadn't really, you know, and I think you can tell from some of the early singles that I hadn't really contemplated. I'm, I'm no singer. I think I morphed into a fairly... Um, a convincing front man, which is even in recent times when we've played, you know, I know how to put my foot on the monitor and stuff, but um, it, it's kind of what would I say to my 18 and stuff? It's, it's a strange one. I mean, I never, it's it's something where I fell into it and, and I'm so pleased that I did, but it's, you know, post the Poo Sticks, uh, you know, the Poo Sticks was my first band and it's kind of my last band. You know, I've worked in the kind of mainstream music industry after that as a manager and a publisher and did various things but um it, i didn't have a career path as a musician which was probably quite quite uh quite handy in retrospect so do you are you still doing things with the poo sticks then well we got we we we, we reformed about uh what year is it now 2017 20 2010 it was kind of i as i said i worked in the music biz after the poo sticks for for a while and Around sort of around that time, 2008, 2009, as the industry was changing, I decided to 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 leave because I was still doing various things, and and um, and it was at that point I kind of I started doing other stuff. I did like a film and music festival in South Wales for a while with a, a guy called Mark Cousins, who's quite a quite a well-known film critic, um, filmmaker, um, and it, it got me thinking about the group again because we, again we'd always get offered shows and things like that, so we. We put it back together in 2010 and did an Indie Tracks Festival, and then um, which worked. And then we did a show at Bush Hall in London, and we played in New York and Berlin. And you know, I realised that after all these years, there were still you know two or three hundred people in 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 uh, most cities around that still wanted to see us. Uh, yes. And Amelia, as I said, it was a kind of a, a new lineup. But over the years, in terms of the line, um, the live stuff has been. Probably three or four separate lineups, which which are the only constant of me and Amelia. So it's it's uh, it's what the poo the, the 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 last lineup was what the poo sticks have, have, have always been really me and other people. Right. So you do you so. keep in touch with Amelia for? Yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> which is quite yeah. I mean, it's been you know I suppose looking back at the indie pop world. I mean, I suppose I do find it quite lovely the way that most bands have had their moment and sort of then done other things and are slowly thinking, well, we're quite happy to sort of occasionally get back together and have a bit of a laugh, but not to take it too seriously. Yeah, I mean, uh, to be honest, when we got back for the first show, we had to take it quite seriously or it would have been even more shambolic than it was. So, um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's, uh, it, it is. I mean, it's just that without getting too kind of sentimental about it, I mean, it's it's a lot of those, gr a lot of the groups you know, so some of us got to a certain level first time rounds, but it was, it was, you know, it was. You have to. But when World Is Turning On came out, and we were on a major label, and it got on the, you know, the the A list at Radio One, and we were literally. This was ninety two, ninety three. So this was just before the Britpop thing, which was really when guitar music became dominant on the mainstream radio stations and stuff. And so we were being that was being played by Simon Bates in between Whitney and Madonna, and it was kind of, you know, it. it 
but at the same time, we were losing. We lost our kind of original fans because it was still incredibly uncool to be on a major label. But right. and there was that period of time where there was a period of about eighteen months where we were being supported by people like Pulp and and bands that went on to really break through a couple of years later. So sometimes it's time and place, but also you know, um, I think Britpop was the end of it actually. For me, even for me as a fan, it just kind of. I was around, I was managing a group from Newport called Sixty Foot Dolls who had a couple of hits here and, yes. and I, worked, I did a lot of stuff with Catatonia who went on to do really well. But it was kind of even though that scene as a time where guitar music, indie music became mainstream, it was kind of I thought it was really took it all down to a, a common real bass kind of I don't know it seemed to be like um, I thought it was like London and the, the South's kind of um, revenge on Manchester and stuff and I thought it brought as much as I like the Beatles and the Kings it brought it everything down to this very basic kind of influences and I thought you know there's exceptions to it but I think I don't know I mean I was turning 30 at the time so I need to be aware of that and there's been interesting music since of course there's always interesting music but in terms of indie stuff it just I don't know if it's ever that seemed to be the end of it for me I think yes you'll have to listen to your uh I don't know, bog shed or um, <laughs> big flame. Yeah, yeah, of course, yeah. <laughs> I mean, then that's the thing with C eighty six to a certain extent is is now seen as like the twee cutie element of it, whereas actually, you know, it wasn't just that. I mean, I, I, as much as I, I enjoyed seeing Tallulah Gosh or the Pastels at the time, you know, I was eighty six, eighty seven, going to see Sonic Youth and Dinosaur and Big Black and all those groups as well. So. Yeah, well, actually, that was very much, you know, I was quite excited. I think I'd probably had enough of indie by the end of, of that particular period because it had been for five years, which was great. And then you had this sort of, I suppose, 4AD stuff with Throne Muses and the Pixies and then Sonic Youth and Butthole Surfers. So yeah. it, was, it was actually like, oh, actually, this is much more interesting now. So I'd slightly also, I thought, you know, as much as I love the Smiths, by that last album, I felt like I'd almost needed a break. And, and I, I do like the last album, but at the time I was a bit like, you know, it was like, oh, that's that's nice, but you know, and, and the stone, you know, I saw the Stone Roses in a club in Bristol in just before, you know, whenever '89, and and then and you know, they 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 played a show in in Cardiff in March '89 at a venue where there were like 15 people, and we played it the same week with the Pastels, and it was sold out, 300 people. By the May June, they were, you know, they'd really started to break through, and I think. That was an interesting, uh, you know, whatever you think of Stone Roses, I, I thought that was quite interesting because they were taking elements of the stuff that, you know, very kind of indie primal scream sort of the, the early primal scream stuff, uh, and, and 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 took it to a, a much bigger audience, and that probably set the scene for that kind of mid nineties thing, yes. which, as I said, to me got slightly a bit boring then. <laughs> yes, well, I suppose sometimes there is just a desperate need to listen to something different. And I think, um, yeah, it was, it's almost quite a relief when something new comes along. I'm sure people in the 70s were quite relieved when, you know, after years of prog rock and glam rock, there was punk, you know. Yeah. And I suppose at the time, you know, it's kind of news and all that. But actually, musically, it was just like, oh, that's quite nice to have a change and to listen to something different as a sort of person who's, who still likes listening to new music. Yeah, and I think I'm thinking about my 18-year-old self again now. The thing is, I wonder if my 18-year-old self these days, I'm not sure in terms of... That was what, obviously, punk rock was very much like that. And, and to a lesser extent, I think that C86 time was like that. Is that it was quite open um, and uh, and that you could kind of almost join in. And, and, not, you know, and you can join in now. You can make, record stuff and stick it on the Internet. But there was this quite defined 
structure and, and infrastructure there that you know presumably if people like your music you know people played it and you got fans and that and it was kind of that's the thing that surprised me at the time was that you know growing up in a place like Swansea which is quite a small city and you know we were traveling to Bristol and London just to see shows a lot of the time is that uh when we stuck our heads above the parapet there was we were we were welcomed <laughs> yes so that's um, yeah well Look, this has been great. And like I said, I'm doing this show and um, each week I do a different band. This week it's going to be the Orchids. So in a few weeks' time it will be the Poo Stick, which Excellent. is very exciting. I look forward to that. Yes, yeah. so, but I'll tell you when it's going to be happening. But kind of thanks ever so much. Uh, well, for, thanks <laughs> thanks for your interest yeah, no, in it's the 21st a, century. The 20, I know, it's quite exciting actually, sort of <laughs> meeting different bands. And yeah, no, it's, it's, I'm sure, yeah, because uh, so many of the bands are still active. You're in the... Thing on Six Music yesterday about Glasgow and Steve, you know, uh, Stephen Pastel was on it, and uh, they were talking about that that time, and and you know, obviously even pre C eighty six with the Orange Juice and stuff, and it, and it's interesting because it takes it right up to Bell and Sebastian and other stuff happening in Glasgow, and yeah, yes. it's kind of interesting. Well, the Scottish scene, you know, I mean, you did have bands like Strawberry Switch. Which yeah, way. yeah. But then you sort of had Jasmine Minx as well, as well as um, oh yeah, Jesus and Mary Queen, and yeah. I suppose a bit of the early. Simple Minds was quite interesting as well. So. Yeah, yeah. So, and that's the thing with us, as I said, coming from down here, there's a, there wasn't, you know, in Swansea, you know, there was kind of really, you know, Bad Finger and stuff like that who, had, who were kind of based there, but or from there. But in Wales, you know, in terms of cool music at that time, it, it was really not, it was grim, you know. Young Marble Giants had, were a few years before us, and, and the Manics, who I never, you know, who I never really liked so um <laughs> darling buds were mates of ours so it was kind of and then it wasn't down down to us but welsh music was seen as being really uncool but then but by the kind of mid 90s and as i said i was involved with some of those groups they, they were you know one they had commercial success and, and two there were some interesting yeah. groups came out of it and they were most of them were from that kind of DIY indie background, most of them. So, because in '86, '87, John Peel was probably '86. John Peel was playing a lot of Welsh-speaking singing bands like Daft Bloogie. Yeah, that. yeah, he did. Yeah, um, and yeah, a lot of that stuff. I'm not. I, I, I'm not a Welsh speaker really. So, but it's. Um, yeah, a lot of that stuff didn't really... Uh, Gorky's I liked a bit. I, mean, I don't dislike that plugging stuff, but I, I hear those things and just thought, oh, that sounds like the fall. And Revin, you know, were... Oh, yes. I saw them around... I think we saw them in Swansea supporting Napalm Death, and it's kind of, well, this was 86 or something, and they just sounded like like a really old-school punk band singing in Welsh. So there's, the, the cultural significance kind of would would pass us by, if that makes sense. It wouldn't, you know... It didn't make because we were just listening to the music and thinking this is really old hat. Yeah. You know, even if he's singing about Mickey Mouse and murder burgers or whatever, <laughs> it's kind of it just really connect. I'm really good friends with Reese Moy now, actually. Weirdly enough, the guy, Van Revan, and through Catatonia, Gorky, Super Furries to a lesser extent, all those groups that I knew or was vaguely involved in. Um, you know, the the, the um. You know, I, I'd say I know a lot of the, those groups, so I've got I have got a slightly different um, perception of it. But yeah. those things and Peel playing them didn't really. I don't think it really impacted on 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 a lot of the other non Welsh speaking groups. It was a kind of separate thing, you know. Yes, I suppose. I, yeah, we were just excited. That was the, you know, I suppose with John Peel, he did used to throw everything into the mix in a way, which kept us all sort of on our toes so i guess it just was it was, well, it was challenging wasn't it with peel i mean it got to get to the point where you think oh god some of it you know it would be 
too challenging or too unlistenable. But it's it's like, do I miss him? Oh yeah, I do because it's kind of I think you know you have to culture can be so it's so bland or feels quite bland at the moment unless you really dig. Yeah, know? and maybe you know you had to dig to find Peel because he, he was he'd be shifted around or he was on late at night, but. You know, it feels like there's still, you know, apart from maybe his son, <laughs> it still feels like a real gap. Yeah, I think there is a huge gap, actually. I just, I think there's just been nobody who's really sort of walked into his shoes for some reason. I don't know, I don't really know why, because you think it should be easy. But I think, you know, though I like Six Music, it still feels a little bit like it's, the playlist is always put together by a, a committee rather than an individual. But I might be wrong on that, but it doesn't have that, like, really like, i must record john peel tonight because you never know what's going to be on it because i used to always record it on my trusty tape and then yeah. listen to it several times and like you said it was really challenging but there would be a couple of things that you thought actually that was worth listening to just for those couple of things no and i think things that, that, that get dismissed now because it's kind of it's that terrible kind of like quality sort of thing it's got to be like sonically the quality you know and it's like what are you talking about you know you listen to classic rolling stones records and they're out of tune and they speed up and slow down i mean it's kind of you know, I know that was a different age, but it's that, that's the thing that you get from people is odd sounding things and things that were wrong, you know, and you don't really hear that. I mean, we do hear some stuff like that in Six Music, but it's kind of the wrongness might be very studied. I don't know. You don't feel, you know, if, if we were the poo stick starting again now making a record like on tape, God knows who would play that. I mean, maybe <laughs> Lammo would, but I, I don't know. I don't, I don't think so. I no. think our best bet would be something like Tom Ravenscroft, and that's a real irony because they tried to replace Peel with, with what three or four people and weirdly without naming names I, I knew one of the presenters well at the time and had a group uh, I know I, I was managing a group that Peel was playing a lot just before he died called the Caves and we actually we did get a session out of it but there was another band like an artist from New York I was working with who Peel had been a big fan of in a previous band and we, we you know, and I put I was putting an album out by him and never got didn't get one play on the new John Peel show, and I know that John would have played it. Yeah, you know? I know. That's uh, kind of interesting. I knew the, and that was like literally in the months after he died, and I knew that. <laughs> I was thinking, all right, okay, it's changed, you know. Yes, I think it has changed. The gatekeepers are in, and that's what Peel wasn't. I mean, he was a, he wasn't a gatekeeper. Yeah, I think I think that's the thing because I I love looking at their you know why well, I, I don't listen to it but I look at the playlists quite a lot and I'll sort of go down and see what Lauren Laverne's played or any of them and think oh that's interesting oh that's a new yeah you know there's now there's not a lot that really make me think oh god I'm gonna have to listen to this it's it's quite studied I suppose yeah and it's all kind of pleasant and there's nothing wrong with that you know I mean it's, there's lots of good music out there but um you know like recently I've got a couple of kids and sixteen year old who, who's um, listening to one extra a lot right and at first thing you know, i'm doing that middle-aged dad thing oh, i just recall this music and it's like actually it's yeah i quite like <laughs> i quite like some of it and i find even sonically it being inventive and 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 its own little world you know yeah and some of it breaks out in, you know but you know stormzy or wily or whatever but it's actually there seems to be it feels like there's things being made there um and and getting played on the radio and you can f- feel that they were made like the week before do you know do you know yeah. what i'm saying it's fre- you know i'm going to use the fresh word but it's, it just feels a 
bit more in the now, really. I suppose, well, there used to be all the fanzines and flexi-discs, which were obviously sort of slightly hit and miss, but, you know, again, sonically, they probably were a bit poor, but we used to get very excited by them, you know. The yeah, good songs. I mean, I really like... Of the, I've been thinking about the C86 groups, the ones that I like. Yeah, I like Tallulah Gosh, and I like the Pastels and stuff. I've always really liked the Sea Urchin, see, and they were mates of ours, and... and some of the recordings, I don't think they ever made a really great recording as such in terms of it sonically sounding good, but they had really great songs and atmosphere and stuff. And I, I really, really liked them. I know, they were fantastic. They were fantastic, but they were never, they never got anywhere near, you know, uh, really becoming big. And even a few, 10 years later when they were called, what, Delta or whatever, and they made a really good record for Dishy or whatever, and 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 at one point I think even w they were touring with like Paul Weller was behind them and stuff, and it never really happened for them, you know. I know to Sarah Records, we love them. Anyway, look. Yeah, I'll leave you go. We're yeah. better all day otherwise. Yeah, well, thank you ever so much for That's your okay. time, and, and I'll keep in touch. And that is the last part of the interview that I had with um, Hugh Williams a couple of years ago, talking about life, love, poetry, the poo sticks, and much, much more. This has been David Eastall. If you want to contact me, you can, if you want to. Um, but if you do, just keep it nice and positive. Otherwise, hit delete. You can, um, on Facebook, Twitter, even Instagram, just go to at C86show. I will be there. And also, all these shows have been podcasts, so I'm just doing that at the moment. And you can find those on Spotify, iTunes, Podbean, and also Mixcloud. Anyway, I'll leave you with another track by the awesome Poo Sticks. This is titled I Know Someone Who Knows Someone Who Knows Alan McGee Quite Well. Have a great week. I know someone who knows someone who knows Alan McGee quite well. Someone who knows someone who knows Al McGee quite well. Let's talk of a deal with creation with an expensive lady K production. I know someone who knows someone who knows Jack Travis quite well. I know someone who knows someone who knows Jack Travis quite well. Now that the smiths have split. Things are going to be it. Our said to me that we couldn't be on blast first because we're not nice enough and we don't hurt when you listen to us. I know someone who knows someone who knows how to get quite well. Someone who knows I'm a geek quite well Alan McGee